Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Mind for Life podcast, where we bring you inspirational leaders who leave an indelible mark on the world. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and today we are delighted to introduce a remarkable guest to you. His name is Lyle Wells. He is an indispensable ally, if I might say it that way, for those people that are looking to make a significant impact in their fields. Uh, Lyle is a tender pastor with a dash of humor, and he also has the extraordinary ability to address those topics that are typically unaddressed and talk about some of those things that other people might shy away from. Over the years, he's captivated audiences globally, be it through keynote speaking or preaching from the Bible, where his exceptional oratory skills shine through. Lyle's dedication and passion extend beyond the stage. He is a leader and has served as a leader in higher education, been a transformative figure in athletic programs, uh, and his fervor and excitement and passion is unmatched, whether he's coaching on the basketball court or nurturing ministry leaders to amplify their kingdom impact. As I mentioned, his ministry journey includes influential roles as a senior pastor, church planter, executive senior pastor at one of the largest churches in the nation, and currently Lyle serves as the president of Integris Leadership Group and is the accomplished author of The Five-Day Leader, an insanely practical guide to relentless growth, ridiculous routines, and resilient relationships, which you'll hear more about in this podcast. Away from his professional commitments, Lyle is a devoted husband to his wife, Rhonda. They've been married for 32 years and a father to their grown children, Michael and Jordy. His family life is characterized by spontaneous fun and a rich sense of togetherness. Lyle is a basketball enthusiast who appreciates some of the simpler joys of life. So I hope you are ready to be inspired by the story, wisdom, and leadership of Lyle Wells. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation so much, and there are so many tips and nuggets in here, so I encourage you to listen with a pad or pencil or note app so that you can take down some notes of things that will make a difference in your life as a leader. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into today's episode. Uh, it might be great if you just uh, kind of shared a little bit of your background for the audience so that everybody knows where you're coming from and just what your passions and interests are and what you're doing now. And then we can kind of get into talking more about like some uh, some leadership aspects. Jeff, thanks. Um, uh, I'm a lifelong educator, um, even though I've been a pastor and a college basketball coach and doing what I do now with Integris, um, the core has always been education. Uh, my mother was a teacher. My father died when I was very young. So that's all I knew, right? Going to school early with my mom, being at school late with my mom, uh, and uh, being an only child who loves sports, naturally basketball was, uh, it's the one sport you can play alone. I mean, I guess you right. can touch by yourself, but you'd have to be really fast. And I'm not. So I've seen those videos where those guys do that. Right. <laughs> but um, so my path was uh, uh, public school, uh, I attended Presbyterian Church. Um, so I tell people I got to know God in the Presbyterian Church, went to college uh, at Colorado State. I was going to major in education. I was going to be a teacher and a coach, um, went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, 20 years old, these guys knew Jesus like I knew my roommates. And I knew right. I didn't have that. And so the only thing I could figure out is they were all from Texas and they were Baptists. I knew I didn't want to live in Texas or I thought, you know, now I've lived here for a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, I better figure out this Baptist thing. And went and asked my Presbyterian college pastor about Baptists. He says, you don't want anything to do with them. They handle snakes and speak in tongues. <laughs> so I became a closet Baptist recording on VCR back in the day. Jerry Falwell, Ed right. Young, Jr., Charles Stanley. Um, and so I uh, started teaching and coaching uh, and got into bivocational ministry because uh, in one of those uh, sermons that I videotaped, they talk about the rich man and Lazarus. Mm -hmm. That scared me to death, Jeff. I'm like, right. I'm teaching kids, you know, how to shoot a jump shot and, and you know, how to dissect a frog. Um, 
But what if I, when I die by grace, I'm at Abraham's side and look across that chasm and see somebody I taught and they said, why would you not tell me about Jesus? So I started a Bible study on campus. Um, The local youth pastor recruited me at the end of the year and said, look, um, I, you can do what you're doing for me. I'll give you a little salary and I'll buy the pizza. You don't have to. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. a good deal. Uh, and so I, I had a great life. I mean, teaching, coaching, uh, ministry, I had it all. And um, in uh, 1997, uh, I got a phone call from Palm Beach Atlantic University. Uh, they were looking for an athletic director and a basketball coach. Um, and my name had been given to them. And so I ended up going uh, to Palm Beach Atlantic. So it's a division two school down in West Palm Beach, Florida. We had never been to Florida, my wife or I, we were expecting our second child, but we just felt this was of the Lord. And what got me into leadership was that first year as the athletic director, we had some kids that did some things that college athletes do, nothing serious, but knucklehead things. And one day out of frustration, I said to our staff in a coaches meeting, we had 14 sports. I said, how do you pick team captains? Because the kids that are getting in trouble are all team captains. Right. They said, well, they're either the best players or they're seniors. And I thought, that's not a qualifier for leadership. We're sending these kids to battle with butter knives. We're Mm -hmm. telling them to lead and they don't know how. And so that started me on the journey of, how do you develop a leader? And so I started a class called Captain's Club. It was originally just for student athletes and ended up being a campus-wide thing. I ended up leading the student leadership retreat for years at Palm Beach Atlantic based on this idea of we want to give you tools to be a leader. So I believe leadership can be learned. I think we're all born with some characteristics that may help, but you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And so that led me to um, uh, a relationship with a guy named Flip Flippin, and then uh, ended up starting Integris, which our goal is simply this, to, you know, equip and encourage kingdom-minded leaders for greater impact. So taking those same tools that I was teaching to my captains, uh, we now teach them uh, to leaders in all faith-based realms, Christian schools, churches, faith-based nonprofits, Christian business leaders who see their work as ministry. That's what we do at Integris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Integris started when, what year? 1997? No, that was when you uh, went to Florida. It started, it started in 2005. Uh, okay. And um, so uh, uh, there's a group called the Flipping Group. Uh, they work with uh, public education. They work with um uh, corporate groups. They work with professional and college athletes. So I've been introduced to them through a friend. That's how I got to know Flip. Uh, and he said, you know, um, you know, you ought to come do what we're doing. And I said, well, I've got this. I made this commitment to the Lord that I would share the gospel once a week where I'm on campus. Like, you know, nobody shepherds the shepherds. Nobody encourages the encouragers in a faith-based organization. Nobody equips the equippers. And that's what I want to do. Right. And so um, I, I started, uh, they licensed me to use some of their intellectual property. Uh, and now we've created all of our own. We still use a profile. We share a profile, a behavioral profile. But um, it started in 2005. We've worked with leaders, Christian leaders all over the world now. Uh, we're in several continents. I had a call this morning working with continental evangelical teams uh, in the Americas, Africa, um, they call it, uh, I forget what they call it, but it's North its North Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia, and then, of course, Europe. So it's really been a privilege, but my heart is just understanding that um, every, every leader is the object of God's affection, Jeff. Uh, he doesn't want to see us struggle, um, but we struggle because we either lack skills or we get scared. Uh, mm-hmm. Moses, you know, was told by the Lord when to commission Joshua, he says, strengthen and encourage him. And that's my heart. That's the heart of our team to do that for leaders all around the world. So um, there's a lot of people that do leadership training, leadership developments uh, on the maybe the corporate level or the secular level. How does your faith 
really inform how you approach leadership development and how I see those things as synergistic. I see those things as inseparable, but I'd love to hear you talk about how those tie together from your guys' perspective. Well, you know, um, no true behavioral change is going to happen without a heart change. And we know that ultimately only God changes a heart. Uh, so, I mean, we, when you lean into it that way and, you know, and you make the Bible the foundation of everything that you teach. I mean, it's the greatest leadership tool that any leader could have. I mean, live in the book of Proverbs. You know, it cracks me up when um, you hear a leader, a secular leader go, oh yeah, I'm really inspired by the biographies of Churchill and Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln. Great men, great stories. But what about the biographies of Jesus and Paul and Moses <laughs> David, you know, and Daniel, like, let those be uh, the foundation. And so, um, you know, uh, we think that we have a leg up on, quote, the competition, and we don't see it that way. Um, but uh, one of the interesting things, biblically, Jeff, about this whole concept of leadership, Jesus, we would all agree as believers, greatest leader the world has ever known. Yet, in the Gospels, he's never called a leader. The right. only time the word lead is associated with Jesus is geographically. He led them to the Mount of Olives, or he was leading them uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. So what was it about Jesus? It was that he was easy to follow. I mean, mm -hmm. he told people, follow me, but there's going to be a cost. And they willingly, and in most cases, immediately did it. I mean, other than the rich young ruler... And there's a couple that kind of drug their feet. I mean, every time Jesus says, follow me, people willingly did. So, you know, as much about learning about what a leader is, really the goal is become easy to follow. Right. Um, no, I mean, you said uh, in, in our pre-interview, is, is this leader really worthy of me following him? Do I really want to follow this leader? That's a great question. Because, I mean, you sit at the top of your organizational chart, and I sit at the top of mine. And so could we fire anybody in our organization? Technically, yeah. But, you know, theoretically, they can fire us, too, and go work for somebody else. Um, you know, they they just fired you as a leader and said, I want to I go work for another leader or fired me. So this whole idea about um, Christ-like leadership being easier to follow, that, mean, that doesn't mean soft. That doesn't mean no accountability. I mean, Jesus was anything but that. But he he created clarity. Um, there was an empathy to him. He was generous. Those characteristics make people want to follow you. Yeah. Or, or uh, you mentioned that they can fire you and go work for someone else, or they can fire you and still work for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? And you just don't know. And, you know, that's maybe a blind spot that leaders have is that they don't realize how many people in their organization have fired them and yet still are working for them. And so that really kind of takes us back to what are the reasons by which a person fires their leader? You know, yeah. why do so many leaders fail uh, in your experience, you know, what are some of the things that leaders should be aware of that maybe they're not? that are hurting their leadership and that, you know, why are people firing them and what are the things that they can do about it? So the biggest, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the big stones when it comes to that, what have, we, what have you guys found? Well, I think there's three that, that I would say just jump off the page. The first one is um, the inability to, to really uh, lead yourself and your organization towards your desired outcomes. Can mm -hmm. you create urgency and, and, and intensity around the priorities that you've identified? Now, you and I know, Jeff, there are some organizations, they don't even define priorities. People don't even know what a win looks like. But um, as a leader, can you, can you coach? Can you lead? Can you mentor? Can you model for other people how to align your behavior with desired outcomes and give energy to that? Um, this idea about work-life balance and life is a marathon, I, I don't believe any of that. I think life is a series of sprints. 
I mean, you're a, a school leader. You know what? I want my secondary school teachers to sprint six times a day. That 60 minute block that they're with their students, I want that to be the only thing that matters. I want them to sprint. I don't want them multitasking. I mean, think about it. We're the only animal on the planet that multitasks. Mm -hmm. Don't, right? Um, I mean, a, a mama lion isn't nursing and chasing a gazelle at the same time. And yet we think that's okay. So it's a series of sprints, but helping people understand what am I running towards? When do I run and how do I run is one. The second is they just don't build what, what I call in the five-day leader book, resilient relationships. That build relationships that are going to withstand the struggles and the challenges of life. You know, I mean, when you've got a loyal friend, you've been through a lot together. Uh, when you've got a loyal marriage, you've been through a lot together. And so many leaders look at relationships as transactional. And that's never going to work when there's a significant cost involved because the transaction's not worth it. And then the last one, this one's probably my favorite. Um, the other place where leaders fail is they forget their job is to solve problems. Um, you know, when, when I was a high school principal, one of the things that uh, often amazed me was how my, my teachers would have energy for things by being surprised by things that I, I didn't think were all that surprising, right? You got 30 girls on a cheerleading squad and they're not getting along. Um, who's surprised by 15 or 30 15-year-old females that can't agree on something? Like, I'm not surprised by that at all, right? Or the 17-year-old boy who's, you know, driving his truck, you know, on the grass or on the on the sidewalk. Well, the you know, who's surprised by a 17-year-old having a lapse in judgment? That, that, that's part of our job description. So I tell leaders, stop being surprised. Problems are our job. If there weren't problems, we wouldn't need a principal. If there weren't problems, we wouldn't need a head of school. So you know what? Identify and solve the problems. That's what we do. Um, you know, if everybody's 100% healthy, there's no longer a medical profession. The doctor's never surprised in the ER that somebody's bleeding in a coma, right? Or having a cardiac event. That's what they do. And that's part of what we do as leaders. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that I'm constantly dealing with people living in the fairy world is what I call it. Living in a world of should have bans and should do's and ought to do's and not in the real world where people drive their truck on the grass, where they don't get along. And it's like you said, uh, the biggest complaints I get are they come in, people will come in and say, well, they should be doing this and they should be doing that. And I, and my comment is always, why do you think they should be doing that? Why don't you just expect that they would do what pretty much everyone else on the planet does and consider themselves first? You know, yeah, they should be considering others. Yeah, they should be considerate. Yeah, they should be nice. They should be kind, but they're people. They're human beings and they're imperfect living in this world and they do what we all do, which is what we want to do. You know, we grow out of that. So, you know, if you can take your advice and recognize that problems come with the job and yes. are the job, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> Uh, you 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 save yourself a lot of a heartache, you know, I guess, and a lot of frustration. Just expect it. Well, and and here's what I would say to the people who are who are the should and the ought to, and right, what what's easy and obvious to you may not be easy and obvious to other right. people. Right. I mean, you and I have decades of retrospect, so we can look at a 17-year-old. I mean, it cracks me up when when you know they're like, well, they should be more responsible. And I always ask, how responsible were you at 17? Exactly. Were you the unicorn that that never made a mistake? You know, because I made them all when I was 17. I like mm -hmm. I got a PhD in stupidity in college. You know? <laughs> I mean, I got a, I got a bachelor's and a master's in real stuff, but yeah, you know what? So it's not easy and obvious to them. So why don't we teach them? Why don't we talk to them? 
Why don't we coach them? You know, Jesus never, um, he was not surprised, you know, at the selfishness of his disciples, the, you know, the, the, the arrogance of the Pharisees, you know, but he, you know, he, he taught them, he modeled for them. And that, to me, that's leadership. If leadership were easy, everybody'd be a leader. Um, yeah. You know, we'd love everybody to be a leader. But the truth is, people with high credibility and high influence, they're rare in an organization. But those people are the ones that move the culture and move the needle. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you would, talk a little bit about how somebody develops that. Uh, you did the course. Uh, captain's club or captain's course, whatever you called it on campus, which I think is incredible. We are starting at our school next year, a leadership academy. Um, so we're we're in the process right now of interviewing and hiring a director to really come in and teach leadership across our whole school uh, to prepare students, kindergarten all the way through on Here's the things that you need to develop in your life. Our purpose statement is we prepare students spiritually, socially, and intellectually to impact their world for the kingdom of God. And there's no better way to make an impact than to be a leader in whatever it is that you do. Now, not everybody that walks out of these doors is going to be a leader in their community or a leader in their organization or whatever, to the to, to the point that you just made. But we're starting to explore what are the things that we can teach. Uh, you talked earlier about leadership as something that somebody can learn and develop those skills. What are those things that and how can people develop those things in their life? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I'd start. I'd start with three things as a foundation. Number one is, you know, what really is your purpose statement? Why do you Why do you think you exist? I mean, and you can handle that question from a secular standpoint or from a spiritual standpoint. But you, you know, um, you've got to stand for something, and you you've got to believe that you've got purpose. The second is we call a process statement. What What do you want your life to look like? Um, you know, my my purpose statement, equip and encourage kingdom leaders for greater impact. My process statement, Jeff, is I want to do hard things with people I really care about and I want to have fun doing it. And so that guides me. Uh, so, if, you know, somebody calls and says, uh, you know, hey, would you like to partner in this project? Is it a hard thing? Could I really care about these people? And is there some fun in this? Doesn't mean that it's fun all day, every day. Mm-hmm. But could could we could we have a good time doing this? Would we be glad that we did it? Um, and then you know, and then you've got to develop some core principles. So the first thing I did with the leaders in in Captain's Club was, hey, why do you exist? You know, um, what do you want? What do you want it to look like as you lead your team? And then and what are your core principles? So they're nineteen and twenty, right? So I started with Micah six eight, and I said, so what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. So number one, act justly, do the right thing. Hey, we're going to a club tonight. Is that the right thing, right? Just start doing the next right thing. Hey, can I can I copy your test? No, do the right thing, right? Love mercy. Hey, treat, other, treat every other human being as though they're an object of God's affection because they are. So that's it. Love mercy. Be kind to the person at training table. Treat the trainer um, with dignity and respect. Treat your teammates. They're not freshmen. They're teammates. You know, stop minimizing people. Um, And then walk humbly. And, you know, humility is really controlled strength. So understand your strengths and use them well. Um, So we start from that foundation. And then I think that that there's, there's knowledge. Um, there's skills and there's perspective. And so if I was going to sit with, you know, your, your head of your leadership development academy, I'd say, okay, think about the knowledge that you want them to have, the skills, the, the applied knowledge. Now, what are their skills? And then also the perspective. So um, one of the great tools for all the leaders that are going to watch this, Jeff, is every Friday afternoon, I do a perspective interview. I don't have a blog. I'm not as skilled as you. But every Friday afternoon, I want to have a conversation with somebody whose life doesn't look like mine. So, for example, this afternoon, uh, last week, I had to go get new tires on my truck. I'm in the tire store 
and I'm looking, I'm talking to the manager and I'm looking around and I'm like, that can't be easy to leave. Most of his guys either barely got out of high school or never graduated. They're all vaping, right? I mean, they, they're, they're young people who have never, you know, they, they, you know, I'm not saying that they're not skilled and I'm not saying that they don't add value. They're, they're just a different group to lead than the white collar college educated, you know, um, been in church their whole life. People that, that I lead as a pastor or I lead as the president of Integris. So I'm going to sit down with Mike this afternoon and just ask him, you know, hopefully a hundred questions. Um, what are the challenges? How do you lead? How do you connect with them when you don't seem to have a lot in common with them? Um, but I do that. I mean, I, you know, I've got a rabbi that I talk to three or four times a year. You know, you and I think we know the New Testament or, or the Old Testament. We're playing checkers. He's playing chess. Right. So I just love it, you know. But uh, I started in during the pandemic. And I just, you know, when the world shut down, I thought, great, some time to read. And I just decided I'm only going to read books by people that don't look like me because mm -hmm. perspective matters. Um, and if you want to lead it in a diverse culture, um, then learn how other people see the world. I'm just taking notes. What would you say is the are some of the most important things for for potential leaders to learn when it comes to the knowledge aspect and what are the 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 biggest skills the most let's maybe call it roi skills yeah. that leaders can learn that will provide the most return on their investment well um from a knowledge standpoint right we're leading people we're, we're, you know, we're not leading processes. We're not managing processes. We're leading people. So I think you have to understand human beings, um, you know, as, as much as we fundamentally can. So there's work by Donald Brown, where he identifies th roughly 400 human universals. Um, and so, you know, what are the human universals? In the book, The One Thing You Need to Know from Marcus Buckingham, I, I also reference it in The Five-Day Leader. Those universals create five universal fears and five universal needs. So that's at the core of everybody you lead. So everybody that walks onto your campus, and you have over 100 employees, I'm sure, the five universal fears, death, the outsider, the future, chaos, and insignificance. Those five fears walk on your campus every day. They walk into every classroom. They go into the workroom. They come into the gym. So a, a fundamental understanding, you know, basic psychology, sociology, who, who are these animals that we're, that we're leading? Um, and then, you know, some, some basic leadership principles and Maxwell's great, Covey's great. I mean, some leadership frameworks uh, would be the knowledge. As far as skills, um, most importantly, I think it's three things. Number one, can you communicate that you care? Um, can you communicate empathy? Can you truly connect with people um, relationally? The second is, can you create clarity? Um, again, a lot of this is communication. But I, I, I mean, here's a simple, just a simple leadership framework. When anxiety goes up, and we all deal with anxiety more in certain parts of the season or certain seasons of life than others. We talked about the pandemic a little while ago, but when anxiety goes up, here's what we know. Performance goes down, motivation goes down, and behavior goes down. Fear drives most inappropriate behavior. So now, I mean, let's use a classroom example. If I have a student acting out and misbehaving, that student is experiencing some form of fear or anxiety, okay? If we can get to the core of that, we can change the behavior. But that's what a true leader does. What a manager does is try to modify the behavior and either offer an incentive for them to stop or a threat to make it go away. But that fear still stays there. So when anxiety goes up, those three th things go down. So the natural question that you would ask, Jeff, is, well, how do I bring anxiety down? 
Well, when clarity goes up, anxiety goes down. And so as a leader, if I can bring clarity of expectations, clarity of processes to people, the chances of them behaving better, performing better, and being more motivated go up. So we say clarity is a leader's best friend. So communicate empathy or care, communicate clarity. And then the hard thing is accountability because we don't like to have hard conversations. But if I can care for you, communicate clarity of expectations and and hold you accountable, people have a chance of being really successful. What is your go-to method on the accountability piece? I was listening to something, uh, and it might've been, I don't know if you spoke at this, you might've been talking about this, but like the biggest challenge is the accountability piece for a lot of people. And whoever said it said, I'm a coward. (laughs) You know, that's the biggest thing I struggle with. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, they want to be, I think if you're a person of faith, I'm, I'm speculating, if you're a person of faith and you want to genuinely be kind to people and respect them and be good to them, you want to be nice and you want to be liked by that person. But when it comes to the accountability piece, those relationships often, the, those situations are often not handled well. The relationships break. Um, and that's the biggest fear of I'm going to lose this person and their friendship and their respect for me or whatever. They're going to hate me for life after right. what I'm right. saying here. So what's your go-to? How do you how do you handle those things with grace and care and integrity and charity? We'll talk about it like in terms of like a, a, a genuine um, unconditional love for that person and trying to do good, but at the same time, having to do the things that you need to do for your organization and your team. Yeah. So um, let me preface it with this and then and then I'll get into the tactics. Um, we believe nobody wants to be average. I believe that with all my heart and soul. Um, everybody wants to be the hero in their own story. <clears throat> so Jeff, What makes accountability hard is if I've got to come to you and have a conversation with you um, about your performance and it's been subpar, you're the hero in your own story. So that automatically makes me the villain. And nobody, I I don't want to say nobody, I've known a few people that like being the villain, but (laughs) right, we don't like being the villain. So what, what I say is introduce a third element into the conversation. So if I have to come to you, you go, hey, Jeff, I don't think you're doing a good job of teaching. And you're and you're the hero in your story. You're going to push back and say, yes, I am. And I'm going to say, no, you're not. And you say, yes, I am. And these conversations, then it starts to get personal and it starts to get ugly. But if I can create clarity. Um, so, for example, when I was a, a principal, I told my teachers, if you never want to have a hard conversation with me, do these three things. Bell-to-bell instruction, meaningful bell-to-bell instruction. I mean, align to the curriculum every day and teach like there's a parent, teach like there's a board member, and teach like there's a media member in the back row every day in your classroom. Just do that. Meaningful instruction, bell-to-bell every day. And don't say it if you wouldn't say it in front of a board member, a parent, or a member of the media. We're going to be just fine. And then when there is a problem, I come to them and I go, hey, Jeff, do you remember? Remember the day I handed this out and we said, this this is what we expect. When you tell that joke, would you have told that if there was a media member in the room? Would you have told that if there was a parent in the room? No. Then why? Right? So that third element, that becomes becomes, um, the villain. And now I get to become more of the coach, the the equipper, the encourager that I want to be. So that's the relational dynamic. Fundamentally, from an expectation, there's two things. We We do a terrible job, in my opinion, of understanding empowerment. Empowerment is the healthy relationship between skill and permission. Skill, can they do it? Permission, should they do it? So number one is help every person that you lead understand what they can and should be doing. If you do that, you're ahead of 98% of the organizations on the planet. What can you and should you be doing and the degree and deadline I want you to do it. 
If you can set a really clear expectation, then accountability is easy. Lencioni in the five dysfunctions says, ambiguity is the enemy of accountability. Mm-hmm. And so create clarity. And then now the accountability question is simply, are they doing it? Yes. Are they not doing it? No. Then then if it's yes, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to acknowledge you, affirm you, appreciate you. And if it's no, I'm going to ask the question, is Jeff failing because he can't or because he won't? And if he can't, that's on us. We've put him in a position to fail and we need to change that with a different skill set or strategy. And if it's he won't, then I believe Jeff's making a choice to no longer be part of our organization. We, we subscribe to a concept we call behave in and behave out. You behave your way into opportunities in life. I behave my way into my marriage. I could behave my way out of it. I've behaved my way into a position of influence with my children. I could behave my way out of it. I behave my way into being the president of Integris, and I could behave my way out of it. So it's a behave in, behave out. Um, that's a lot there. Um, if anybody wants to reach out um, and get more clarity, we've got tools and resources. These are the kinds of things that that we use with the teams and the individual leaders that we work with to help make these hard things easier. Um, you talked about the importance there of relationships, especially when it comes to that accountability piece and having a good relationship. Um, you mentioned earlier on um, the the importance uh, for a leader to build great relationships that are resilient. How do you do that? What are the steps that people can take to invest and build those relationships whereby people then give them the permission to lead them? Yeah, I think it's, uh, again, I think it's found, it's founded on a couple of things. Number one is, you know, do you genuinely care for that person? I mean, one of the questions you and I mentioned uh, offline that you're going through hiring season right now. One of the questions we ask before we ever hire somebody is, would you go on vacation with them? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't ask them that, but when they leave the room, we look at our team, we're like, okay, uh, boy, Jeff is smart. He's a talented, got a lot of experience. Would we go on vacation with him? Because I think likability matters. I right. mean, Jeff, you know it. If I like you, I'm going to give you a little more grace. I'm going to be a little more patient. Um, I'm going to probably give you more clarity because I'm more likely to have more conversations with you. Likeability matters. But on our end as leaders, we have to genuinely care about other people. I know you love the people that work for you. I can feel it. I've heard it in your conversations. So that's one. Number two is you got to find that that one thing that really connects you. Now you build on that, but find that one thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, I just got off um, a Zoom uh, with uh, our operational leader, and she was a college softball player. I played college basketball. That was the start. We were both athletes. Both our, all of us had, you know, we both have children that are athletes. So, I mean, our, you know, our catch up call on Friday ended with her going on a rant about her softball, you know, her kid's softball coach, but we'll always have that. And then mm-hmm. you go from that. Now, you know, I mean, um, I've spent time with her husband. She spent time with my wife. I've been in her home. She's been in mine. I mean, now you build on that, but you always have to find that one, that one thread that gets you started. So genuinely care, find that one thread. And then, you know, to build a resilient relationship, people have to believe that your goal is their success, that Mm -hmm. you ultimately um, are in a relationship with them to help them be more successful and flourish in life. Fellowship is, to me, my definition, the church wouldn't use this, but I think fellowship is you and I are at a game. We enjoy, we had a great time at the game, um, but when the game's over, I don't really care about your marriage. I don't care about your job. I don't really care about your teenage son that's struggling. You told me about it, but that's your problem, not mine. Relationship is, Jeff, what, do you, what can I do? How can I be for you? Can I introduce you to this couple? They had a son go through something similar of yours. Can I make that connection? Maybe you can get a resource or, or a little bit of encouragement. That's that's how that builds. Care about, connect with them, and then really, really invest in them. 
Yeah, that's just a qualitative difference in the level of intimacy of that relationship, right? Yeah, yeah what do you really care about? Um, but, but Jeff, here's the other thing. You've, as a leader, you've got to be a little vulnerable too. Right. You can occasionally say, I'm struggling with this, or I don't know, or, you know, and, and, and not a lot. I mean, it's a balancing act because you don't want to be that high need. It's all about me, leader. But when it's appropriate and and the Holy Spirit will prompt you in the right time to let your guard down a little bit and go, I have no clue. I'm, you know, um, I've been doing this for 18 years. I've ne- <laughs> I just told my team this. I've been doing this for 18 years. I don't have an answer for that person. It's a client that we're serving and I just can't figure it out. Right. I'm, like, I'm open because because right now I am making this up every single day. Uh, that's a that's a different perspective. Um, I mean, I guess there's maybe two theories on that is that the leader has to be the invulnerable, you know, guy on the mountaintop. Nothing can pierce the armor. These are the guys that we want to rally behind, you know. And then there's the other aspect of the leader who does have the transparency um, and is vulnerable, but yet still maintains that that confidence and you know, provides the security for those people uh, on his or her team. And so I've heard people say that the, you know, and I guess maybe, I and I agree with it. I, I believe that transparency and vulnerability in the appropriate, uh, at the appropriate levels and the appropriate balance is is good. You know, people can relate better. You talk about that likability factor. People I don't know, maybe there's some people that look at the person, they like the person as the hero image, right? Right. That doesn't have, you know, super, but even Superman had kryptonite, you know, every one of those superheroes did have this aspect of weakness and vulnerability. And so uh, I think that's an astute comment. Well, But Jeff, it's not an either or, right? Right. You can be a great leader, be vulnerable and go, hey, I don't know, but I'm still, I'm not, I'm not paralyzed. We're still right. step in. We're still, I don't know what's on the other side of the mountain, but we're going to go over there and figure it out and we're going to do it together. And yeah, I'm scared too, but that doesn't prevent us from going. And so I think you can be both and. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's, it's, a, it's that right balance that really rallies people behind you. Absolutely. I mean, you led, you led an organization through the pandemic. <laughs> we didn't know, right? No. I never watched the news until then because I'm like, I got to see what's going to shut down tomorrow, um, you know. And so it was a lot of we don't know, you know, we're prayerful. Um, we listen, you know. I mean, I think that's a, a great characteristic of leaders is you listen to other people. Let let other voices speak in to your, your thought processes and your decision making. Um, but you also... Um, you have the confidence that was your word. Um, you know, you don't baby step your way to boldness. So sometimes mm-hmm. you just gotta go. Yeah. You've been in some very significant leadership positions, coach, um, athletic director, teacher, principal, now the president, pastor. Looking back, what was your biggest failure as a leader and the lesson that you learned? I mean, it's easy to say, hey, what was your greatest success? You know, there's a lot. But like, what was the biggest failure and the biggest lesson that you learned? I'm a person that believes that, you know, those are the greatest moments of growth in our lives is is our failures. Um, And I feel it's unfortunate that we have parents today that are trying to, that actively and prevent their students from failure and are hurting their growth as a byproduct of it. You don't let, I said it I said it to someone like this, we look back on our lives at those failures, at those challenges, at the, the hardest parts of our life as the greatest moments of our life. And if you were to ask people on this side of it, would you change it? Even in the most distressful situations, I truly believe most people say, no, those are the things that made me. But yet, as a parent coming in, we pr- we try to stop our kids from having any of those experiences. We block everything out. We put them in positions only to succeed, only to succeed. And yet, at the same time, knowing that we wouldn't trade our biggest failures back. But yet, on the other side of it, we're preventing our kids from experiencing those same things. So looking at your own experience, what's been the biggest challenge 
obstacle, failure that you've overcome and the lesson that you learned from it? Well, I've been fired twice. I mean, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, um, but here's what I would say. Um, when I look back, and Jeff, I don't think I've ever been asked this question. I would say that the times, what what led to my greatest failures is that um, in coaching, we, we have a phrase, winning is a great deodorant. Um, mm-hmm. you know, things can be dis- a dysfunctional mess in the locker room. You could have relational strife and, you know, and players not bought in. But as long as you keep winning, you think it's okay. The times that I've failed greatly, I let I let outcomes um, mask the problems that were in the organizations, and I never addressed them. We we were winning, we were really successful. You know, I mean, in, in churches, I mean, I you know, I see it all the time. Attendance is good, giving is good. And nobody at their staff, everybody at their staff says, if the next six months are like the last 12, we'll all quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, we baptized 25 people this weekend, so things must be good. Right. Now, you know, um, culture, uh, culture um, outcomes aren't always a great reflection of the culture. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have a very, very, very um, high impact highly engaged group of people, and they just haven't seen um, the amount of success that they want to have to yet. So I've been fooled by the outcomes, I guess, is the easiest way to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've learned about that. And I've learned to really invest in the process. Um, You know, outcomes, you know, they'll come. I mean, here's a great example. The biggest influence I had as a parent, I was doing teacher conferences, a local pastor came in. I had his son in class and I'm like, Josh is doing great. He's got all these great grades. And his dad said, I'm going to stop you right there. I don't care about grades. Um, I care about character and work ethic. So I want to know the character of my kid. Does he treat other people well? Is he respectful to you? And does he work hard in your class? Because those things are going to go a lot further than his grades. And I thought, wow. And to this day, I don't know that I've ever seen a report card or a transcript on either one of my children, and they're 25 and 30, um, because that's where we focus, because this man's impact on my life, it's the process. And when I've gotten away from doing the right things the right way all the time, and I've let outcomes justify some of the unhealthy things I was doing, that's when I got in trouble. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Really good. You wrote a book. Tell us a little bit about it and how that process was for you and uh, how that kind of like, you know, what did what did you learn from that? Uh, everybody should write a book, Jeff. I'm just telling you, um, the process was amazing. Uh, so the five day leader in a sentence, um, it's the three common threads I've seen in every high performing leader. Relentless growth, resilient relationships, ridiculous routines. I've talked about those already right. today. Then I put a framework in the back that you can execute on them. Uh, and so it's a simple little book, but the process of writing, um, it's really funny. I, I went away for two days. I wrote, you know, 36,000 words in two days. And I, I thought, okay, I've written a book. No, you've written a manuscript. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process of getting copy editors or content editors to give you feedback, Jeff, you'll never get feedback like you get it from them. I mean, they are in your business. My my first um, uh, copy edit, the first draft came back with 670 corrections. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, did I ever go to an English class? Like, right. You're a principal. It? You're a principal. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a communicator. I'm I'm better than that. Um, but it it was just this. They're unfiltered. Their yeah. job is my success, and they've given me a book I'm really proud of. And so, what if I what if I had ignored that? I mean, I would have been like, no, you don't know what you're talking. I'm like, no, give me more. Give me mm-hmm. more. It's 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 a it's a lesson in humility, uh, in how to receive feedback and perseverance. Everybody, should, I, every leader should go through that process at least once. 
Mm -hmm. Great. And I enjoyed it, by the way. I did read it. Uh, I got a free copy, so uh, it was really great. Really great. Uh, I I don't want to take too much of your time. You've been super gracious and super kind. Uh, If you would tell the audience how people can reach you, uh, where they can contact you, and how to get in touch if they're looking for training or how do they go about uh, making that happen? Uh, you, you know, if you have specific questions on the content that we talked today, I'm Lyle, L-Y-L-E, at Integris, I-N-T-E-G-R-U-S dot org. Or you can, you know, if you want some general information about what we do, it's just Integris dot org. Um, Instagram and Twitter, I'm at lead with Lyle. So we post nuggets. Uh, we try to do them a couple of times a week. You won't see pictures of what I eat. Nobody cares. Um, you won't see pictures of me being stuck in an airport. Nobody cares. Um, it's going to be little nuggets of truth that get dropped on me uh, or things that that are prompted in me to remind uh, my followers, you know, just little nuggets of of instruction and encouragement along the way. But, um, you know, uh, Jeff, I just really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. I love your heart for leadership. You're, you're training your students K through 12 at your school. I mean, that will be the, that will be the thing in a decade that people will look back and go, look, I know science mattered. I know math mattered, but they'll point specifically to moments and lessons in that leadership class that have propelled them. So love your heart, love your humility for inviting me on. And uh, yeah, uh, leaders, you don't walk this journey alone. Leadership is a team sport. Uh, Bring somebody alongside you to equip and encourage you. And if it's us, we'd be honored. Great. Thanks, Lyle. Appreciate you being on. Have a great Friday. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lyle Wells. Again, just so great and some super helpful and practical tips on how you can become a better leader and ultimately even a better person. Uh, The contact information to be able to get in touch with Lyle if you've got more interest in Integris is on our website. You can find that at mindforlife.org forward slash 073. There's also some show notes and information about Lyle and Integris and also some links to resources that might be beneficial for you personally. We have how to get started in a difficult conversation, as well as a 52 essential skills for success in business and life assessment that you can take. So uh, find us there, mindforlife.org forward slash 073. Thanks for joining us. If this has been any benefit to you or you feel like it will be beneficial for someone else, please share this podcast. And thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time.